Well, a good movie or a good book will evoke lots of emotions from the person who is experiencing it. Or as kids say these days, a good movie will put you through all the feels or will give you all the feels. This is that time of year when Christians start to go through all the feels as they look at historically how Jesus spent the last few weeks and especially the last few days of his life leading up to his crucifixion. He was betrayed, he was uh, tortured, he was wrongly accused, and he willingly sacrificed his own life. It puts you through all the feels to hear this kind of a story. But in this series, what what we're looking at is that far more important than how you feel about Jesus is how he felt for you. And so we're looking at, just in the last week of his life, several of the feels or several of the emotions that Jesus himself had to endure as he went all the way to the cross. Now, the thing that we're going to get into today is is a feeling, is an emotion that, here's how I was going to approach it. I was going to say, look, here's what Jesus did. Here's how he endured this emotion. And, And more just honor him and praise him for the way he handled it, because it's so much better than the way we handle it today. But as I dug into this topic, and more specifically, as I dug into how Jesus endured this feeling that we're going to look at today, the more it prompted me to look into how this affects so many people in today's world. In a word, what we're going to look at today is how Jesus went through the feeling of loneliness. Now, I know you know, we all know what loneliness is. I asked my seven-year-old, I asked my nine-year-old for their definitions. I was blown away at how they got to the heart of what loneliness is. But just for the sake of putting us all on the same page here as we talk about this topic today, the way that I would define loneliness, loneliness is an emotional reaction to being alone. It's an emotional reaction. So it's not isolation. Isolation is the physical state of being alone. Loneliness is how you react to that situation emotionally. And again, the more I dug into this, the more I dug into this, the more I saw how Jesus had to endure several different uh, aspects of this feeling, just like you and I do today. For example, the way we react emotionally to being alone usually takes one of two different forms. When you're alone, you might feel fear. Fear that nobody can help you. Dad, I don't want to be downstairs alone. Why? I'm lonely. Well, why? I'm afraid of what might happen with the monsters down there. There's no monsters, but loneliness can be a a fear because no one is there. No one can help you. You know this. You don't want to go certain places alone. Your friends caution you, don't go here alone. You don't want to be anywhere alone because of fear that no one can help. And I think the bigger one, the second one that we encounter most often is this. Our emotional reaction is sadness because no one can love you. I fear being alone because it fills me with such sadness that no one can love me. This is the more common one because you talk to widows, you talk to widowers, you talk to young people who aren't in a relationship yet and want to be. Well, why are you, why do you feel lonely? Well, I'm lonely because I'm sad. I'm sad that there's no one there who can love me. You see these coming across in Jesus' life. He is faced in a state where he is alone, and he has an emotional response that's leading him to do these exact same things. But before I get into him, what I discovered getting ready for this message blew me away to the point where it prompted me to look into things a little bit uh, deeper. And when it comes to loneliness— 
you wouldn't believe some of the research that's been done. What, what's happened now for, for decades is that doctors have noticed a common theme from people coming in with symptoms. People come in with shortness of breath. People, people come in with fatigue or different symptoms, symptoms of heart trouble. And they come in, and time and time again, doctors are noticing that there's nothing physically wrong with them. But we had all this anecdotal evidence that people were just lonely. You go home and Google the stories, doctors' loneliness, and you'll see no shortage of sad stories of how old widowed widowers, uh, widows or widowers came to their doctors and just all these symptoms, but at the heart of it, all they needed to do was just cry with someone. Loneliness has just been around there so much so that the medical insurance companies are now starting to take notice. It was a few years ago um, that a couple of companies started to do some research to see just how much of the money they were spending on people was because of this thing called loneliness. Here's a couple of things that I found. So Cigna, the health insurance company, partnered up with Ipsos to do a survey of 20,000 adults. What they found is that 46% of people recurringly, sometimes, or continually feel lonely. 46%. If, If I were to have you raise your hand, one out of every two hands would be raised. People in the room that regularly feel lonely or continually feel in a state of loneliness. It was so bad, it was so, to such a degree that the people, the medical professionals who looked at the results of this survey came to the conclusion, this isn't at epidemic levels. If any other thing out there rose to the level that this did, a national emergency would be declared and there would be all sorts of awareness, all sorts of money being poured into it. Democrat, Republican, everyone would recognize this as an issue and all hands on deck to address it. But the thing is, this isn't a medical issue. It's just an emotional issue that can manifest itself in physical ways. And as it turns out, this is also a spiritual issue. Loneliness, prolonged loneliness, can have its root in how you view God. We'll get more on that in just a little bit, but first I need to speak to some of the the guys in the room. I'm a guy, so I can speak to you guys. There's this thing about loneliness that's, it's this self-contained spiraling thing that's almost impossible to get free from. In fact, there's this quotation I found in response to this survey that I thought hit the nail on the head. Why is loneliness so hard to break free from? Here's how the, the former Surgeon General put it. He said, admitting that you're lonely is essentially the equivalent to admitting you're not worthy of being loved. For example, if someone would say, well, I'm lonely, the natural response would be, well, why are you lonely? Well, I'm lonely because no one loves me. Why does no one love you? Because I'm not worthy of being loved. So is it it any wonder then that no one's just going to stand up and raise their hand and say, yeah, the pastor, I'm lonely. I'm frequently lonely. Because if if you do that, you're acknowledging some kind of a weakness or a defect within yourself. And so especially guys, especially guys, women, you're a bit easier to crack the shell on this, but guys, we're a little bit tougher nuts to crack. The, the thing with this is we need to acknowledge the truth behind this. We view loneliness as a weakness. We view it as a, something to hide from because who wants to know that I'm afraid of being alone? 
I'm a strong guy. Who wants to know that I'm not lovable? Of course I am. People who know me know that I'm worth loving. But here's the question. We're going to come back to this at the end. Why are you lonely? Why are you lonely? The reason you're lonely is something we'll get to at the end, but the reason we're lonely isn't something that has to do with your environment around you. It has to do more with how you feel. It's a reaction to being alone. And what I want to show you today is at the heart of this answer, you can see Jesus bringing redemption to loneliness. Not just to get rid of it, but actually allowing loneliness to serve a purpose in your life. After all, what we're going to see today is that Jesus himself felt lonely. So guys, if you feel lonely, if you don't want to tell anyone, just start with this. Jesus felt lonely. We're going to see why in just a moment. But you might think to yourself, yeah, but Jesus is like up there. He's the son of God. He he could do anything. And so you might say, well, of course he could say he felt lonely, but he's really like this awesome dude. What if I give you the biggest example of mankind, the most manly man, the greatest man ever, the toughest guy, however you want to view him. And if, what if I showed you how he was lonely and it was okay? Now, I'm not talking about Chuck Norris. There's probably a Chuck Norris lonely joke. I didn't look it up because Ben's giving me a hard time for so many Chuck Norris jokes. But the, the, the most manly man you can imagine is the first man, the man whose genes were perfect, whose DNA was perfect. There was nothing wrong with him. In fact, the first man was perfect. It was Adam. Now, for those of you in the room or for those of you listening who maybe have discredited Genesis 1 through 3 and said, how could there possibly be a six-day creation? Maybe some of you listening just view this as a myth or a legend. Just take this to heart. Even if it is a myth or a legend, isn't there some kind of truth within it that was designed to be told? Isn't there still some truth? Even if you get rid of all the things you claim as myth and legend, isn't there still a central truth? And the central truth we see in Genesis chapter 2 all has to do with loneliness. It goes back to this. The Lord God said, it is not good for Adam, for the man, to be alone. I joke about this all the time. I say the reason it wasn't good is because he didn't even know how to dress himself. And so God said, it's not, it, that's a joke. But the real reason is, is much, much deeper than just that. You see, God created Adam to realize that life was more about one person. Deeper than that even, God himself, his defining characteristic is love. And love is not something you can have in isolation. Adam was created to be in the perfect image of God, which included the demonstration and the feeling of love. But that was impossible as long as he was alone. Bottom line, I'm not going to get too deep into this because I want to get to Jesus, but the thing to take away from this is that Adam felt lonely because he was perfect. He did not feel lonely because he was weak or because he was unlovable or because... He was afraid of what might happen to him. He was lonely because he was perfect and perfectly aligned with the love he was created to desire. So what does this mean for you? It means this. 
especially guys, but everyone in the room, everyone listening, if you are lonely, there's nothing wrong with you. But in fact, if you are lonely, something is right with you. You are craving and desiring something that God created you to crave and to desire. Love cannot exist in isolation. Love requires others. So when you're lonely, something is right with you. But what I also want to show you is that while it makes perfect sense for you to feel loneliness, to feel fear, and to feel sadness, sometimes that feeling needs to be realigned with some reality. And that's where we see this amazing encounter come in of what Jesus did the day, the morning, before his, his crucifixion. And to set the scene, where we're at is that Jesus had just gone to Gethsemane with his disciples. He had just had these three prayers to his father saying, Father, if there's another way, can we do that? But finally yielding and say, Father, your will be done. If I have to die, so be it. And then right away, here comes Judas. Here comes this detachment of soldiers to arrest Jesus while he is alone, while he's isolated. And here's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 26. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. They're, they're, they're uh, binding him up. They're, they're hand, uh, handcuffing him, except they didn't have handcuffs. They're, they're binding him up so that they can take him and have him put on trial. And you have to imagine what's going on here. So Jesus is with the, the 11. You know, Judas has already left him, but he's with his 11 remaining close disciples. They had already talked earlier in the evening about arming up and having swords and having things to protect themselves. And so you have to think, maybe this is that moment. Here's why Jesus had 11 guys all along, so that they could prevent this unjust crucifixion. But here's how it continues. So one of them, one of Jesus' companions, who from the other gospel writers we know is actually Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out. This is like slow motion. Whenever you see the details, it's like slow motion. Reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. We're not sure why he aimed for the high priest and not for the, for the Roman guards. Maybe he was kind of smart, you know, picking the weak one out of the bunch. But he chose his target, he kind of missed, he hit the ear, and you can only imagine what is about to happen from that moment forward. The Roman guards see this, and so they take their, their shields, their, their clubs, their whatever they have, and they gang up on Peter. And so Jesus, the other Gospels tell us, Jesus intervenes. He puts his hand on this guy's ear. His name is Malchus. Jesus puts his hand on his ear, makes it all well, heals it, and he diffuses the situation. He turns to Peter and he says, knock it off. Here's what he actually said to Peter. Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Peter, this is not the time to use it. If you use the sword, you will die. And today is not about you dying. Today is about a different death. So put your sword away. This is not about you. Then he goes on. Do you think talking to Peter and by extension all the others who could hear him, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, 12 legions of angels? 
Not that the, the angels would come down and, you know, Father, if, it would, if it's pleasing to you, please have them save me. But no, they would be put at Jesus' own disposal. He would be the commander of 12 legions of angels. And when we do the math, each legion is four to 6,000, so let's say 5,000. Uh, we're talking about 60,000 angels that Jesus could call, call down to help thwart this attempt to arrest him. And my question going into it was, well, how many angels does it take? I think the theological answer is one. That's all it would take. But Jesus, making a point, says we could have 60,000 of these angelic light things here with us, and they would help me avoid this if I wanted to. And this kind of brought up a good point that I, I thought of. This is Jesus starting to be alone, but at the same time, he's not alone, is he? What's about to happen is he's going to choose to be alone. When in reality, there was really no loneliness about it. He had 11 guys he could have called to. They would have drawn their swords if he asked. He had multitudes of angels. Let's use a biblical word. Multitudes of angels at his disposal. A snap of the finger away, but at the same time, he was alone in this. How do you feel when you feel alone? I mean, if you were to go back in time and tell people 100 years ago of all the advancement in technologies we have today, how you could jump on a plane and go visit someone on the other side of the world in 24 hours, if we were to go back in time and tell people how um, you, you could actually write a note on a letter and mail it and it would be delivered to someone 10 states away in a few days, they would gasp at that. And right now, I'm just trying to connect with the older people in the room who still send mail, you know? And isn't it a shame how expensive postage is these days? It just used to be 10 cents. Can't, anyway, there's so many ways to connect. And then you add on top of that these wonderful devices in our pockets. You can call, speed dial, old people, you can call or speed dial any one of your friends that you want. You can take it out and you can text them. You have unlimited access to all the people whom you know and love. And then you add on to that social media for all the people you don't really know or don't really love, but you're somehow connected to. And you have dozens, maybe hundreds of people just waiting to see what you had for breakfast. You are more connected than ever. We have legions of people who can hear what we have to say for better or for worse. But at the same time, we're more lonely than ever. Nobody really knows you except for you. And this world is a lonely place. Why are you lonely? A lot of times we, we answer the, the question, why are you lonely? And we, we point to the circumstances around us. Well, I'm lonely because she broke up with me. I'm lonely. I'm lonely because my husband or my, my, my wife died. There's a big hole to be filled there. I'm lonely because all my family, family is so far away. Never see him. I'm lonely because my family is too close. I have to isolate myself too much. We, we find all reasons around us. If you ask someone why they're lonely, most often, almost all the time, they'll say, I'm lonely because of something happening out there. And the danger is this. If the reason for your loneliness is in the circumstances around you, then the only way to fix your loneliness is to change the circumstances around you. And that's not something that you can do. What if this is true? Number two, what if it's true that circumstances neither cause nor fix loneliness? What if loneliness was more of a choice in how you react 
to the things that happen. The moment you begin to free your mind from this, the moment you begin to see how Jesus can give true peace at the root and at the heart of what makes you feel alone. And as he goes on, Jesus, and he's, he's teaching, it's, it's amazing, he's teaching his disciples, even as he's being arrested unfairly, he's teaching them, look, I could have 12 legions of angels, we could be done with this, but here's why I'm not going to turn and change the circumstances around me. Here's why that's not the fix. Uh, verse 54, he continues, how then, if we went that route, if you guys drew your swords or if we used angels, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? The scriptures that say it must happen in this way. And it's the in this way that Jesus is tipping off what had been predicted and foretold all along. You look at all of these ceremonies and laws and prophecies that were about this, the Messiah, and in every single one of them, you see an element of this, that one animal, one thing, one symbolic thing would be isolated from the people and it would be punished for the people. There had to be a separation, an isolation, a loneliness in order for God's plan to work. And so Jesus said, if you're going to prevent that, well, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled? And he continues, he doubles back to that in just a moment. Um, Matthew says, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, and by the way, he's, the reason he said in that hour is because sometimes Matthew kind of takes multiple themes and puts them together in one account to kind of give you a full picture. But in, in this episode, Matthew says you need to realize this was happening in real time. Like in that moment, at that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion? A rebellion means you have a crowd with you. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. So again, he's looking at the reason why he was about to be made alone, and he's kind of um, implying that the people around him, the circumstances, were to blame for his loneliness. But he, he acknowledges that without blaming it. It's not really you guys, it's not really you soldiers, it's not the clubs, it's not the swords that are going to lead to my loneliness. Those are external factors and circumstances. There's something else. He pointed to this. All of this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Again, he doubles back to this idea. This was what the prophets said. This is what the scriptures foretold. And here's where things drop off the edge. As Matthew continues, he just wraps this whole thing up with one sad sentence. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And there he was, alone. Something struck me as I was looking at the events leading up to this. See, the way I approach loneliness. And yeah, I get lonely. I'm a dude. It's okay. Real men get lonely. As, as I think about loneliness with me and I think about loneliness in the people around me, the thing that comes to mind is that we often look at the circumstances around us. And if only they were different, we would be less lonely. If the circumstances were different, we could react to them differently. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he Instead of reacting with an emotion, he first realigned his heart. 
This wasn't about him being angry. His loneliness was not about him being sad. It wasn't about him being afraid. His loneliness was grounded on the scripture said it must happen this way. This was the will of my father, and what he says, what he promises, overrides how I might feel. Did Jesus feel sad? Absolutely. Was he afraid? I sure would be. But what grounded him in that moment, when he was lonely, was more about what his father said than more how he felt. And he had to do this because... Only Jesus could do what he was about to do. If the disciples tried to help in this moment, they would have only stopped what Jesus wanted to do. If angels intervened, a single one or 12,000 of them, it would have changed what Jesus was able to do. So the bottom line, what the scriptures, what the prophets foretold all along, number three, Jesus had to be alone to do what he alone could do. This was the plan. This was his focus. He had to be alone, and you know this. You know this. The wrath of God, if it would spill over onto you in any amount, we would be gone. Jesus had to be alone. He had to isolate himself so that the fury of God's anger with sin could be justified and unleashed onto one person. One man got us into this mess. You go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, it was great, fun times until they sinned. And you notice what happened? They start to cover themselves up. They start to isolate themselves from each other. And they also isolate themselves from God. Loneliness started in that garden because of one man. In order to break it, one man had to make himself lonely. Another man. Choosing loneliness so that he could do what he alone could do. So I want to ask this question one last time. Why are you lonely, though? We know that Jesus chose loneliness and that he alone could do what he alone could do, but why are you lonely? Why have you been reacting to the circumstances around you and coming to this reaction, this emotional reaction, with fear or with sadness? Fear that there's no one to help or sadness that there's no one to love you. Why are you lonely? Can I give you the answer? Number four, you're lonely because you believe that you are still alone. That's why we get lonely. We believe that we're still alone, abandoned from people. We still believe that we're separated from God. We feel lonely when we believe the lie that the devil wants you to believe. But there's truth that I want to share with you today. You are not alone. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a Christian, you know that you're not alone. The wrestle that you might have is that you want to have to try to actually believe it. You are not alone because you have a Savior. As we've seen in this series, you have a Savior who's able to empathize with you in every single way. He went through all the feels, including the feeling of loneliness. He knows what it's like to be alone, much more than you do, by the way. He was isolated rejected, forsaken even by his father under the punishment for your sins. And then he went to the darkest place imaginable, death. You could only hold him for three days because he rose again in victory. 
preach the message to you that you will never be alone again. For a time you were, for a time you were lost, but now you've been found. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, what would it look like to believe what you already know? What would it look like to believe that you are no longer alone? And additionally, if, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, he adds this extra blessing. It's not only the spiritual or unseen presence of Jesus you have with you, but you also have the group of brothers and sisters sitting around you. You have your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ whom he has commanded, encourage one another, love one another, do life together, share life with one another, spur one another on. And it's in this community that we see Jesus completing his love for you. That's the kind of love. And that's the kind of company that Jesus, your Savior, has given to you. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're still, if maybe you're just testing out the waters and you're not sure about this whole God thing, maybe you don't know for sure whether or not Jesus is here in some way. You don't know what his story is. You owe it to yourself to come back next week for Easter. We're going to celebrate something that's not just something we believe because we believe it so hard. We're going to celebrate the fact that your faith in the presence of Jesus goes back to an event. Yes, he died going through all the fields, but he rose again to give you life. You'll never be alone in this life and you'll never be alone forever. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, it's one thing to know everything that I just said. I know it, but I don't always believe it. Loneliness is part of this life. It makes sense. You, you designed us to, to want and to crave other people because we're created in an image to, to share love with them. But uh, sometimes in this life, it's inevitable. We will be alone. We'll be isolated. We'll miss people because they pass from this life before we do. And there will be seasons of life that are described or, or under the theme of just loneliness. But I pray, I pray, that you would simply give us the power to believe what you have made us to know. That we have a Savior who is with us to the very end of the age and we are surrounded by people who want to share that love with us. It's in Jesus' name I ask all these things.